Welcome to another episode of the Phoenix Rising Podcast. I am your host, Lisa Hillier. And today I have Andrew and Dawn from Infinite Devotion on the show with me. Andrew and Dawn are a married 24-7 dominant submissive couple. Together they work to support individuals and couples in their integration of DS as a healthy, loving way of relating. And through their deep connection, they have developed a powerful understanding of the intersection of DS, masculine-feminine polarity, and divine union. And they make a practice of teaching and sharing from their authentic lived experience. And this is such a juicy episode that I am so excited to dive into with you. We explore all realms of dominant-submissive relationships and as well as explore how to bring a greater depth into your relationship, whether that's exploring DS or just elevating your current relationship to the next level through a deeper receptivity, deeper intimacy and connection. And so please share this episode with all your friends, give it a review rate it. It helps so, so, so much to get these conversations out to a wider audience. And it's a form of reciprocity and being in reciprocity with the podcast. So please, if you feel called, write a review. I love, love reading them so, so much. And also, if you feel called to support the podcast financially, there are affiliate links in the show notes. They are products that I fully support and stand behind. And I receive a small commission each time you purchase through my link. I am in love with the Queen of the Thrones castor oil packs. They have helped my physical and mental health so, so much. And yeah, balancing my hormones, bringing Eros back into my body. Uh, so highly recommend checking them out. And let's dive into the show with Don and Andrew. Can't wait. Okay, welcome to the podcast, Andrew and Don. I'm so excited to have you guys on the show. I've been following you for quite some time now, and there's always been this little bit of curiosity about dominant submissive couples and, and what that means. So to start, we're going to start with the question of what has been the journey that led you to becoming a dominant submissive couple? And what does that mean? You know, for the people listening that might be like, what is, what is dominant submissive? Well, that question, like, what is it was kind of Dawn's reaction when I asked her to be my submissive about five years ago. Now, um, what led to it really was, um, in part a decades long, like shameful, dirty secret of mine that I wanted to be in this kind of a relationship dynamic that I just kind of kept stuffed down and hidden. Didn't ever really think it was possible or in the cards. And, you know, sometime around 2014, 2015, I had really started on a journey of self-improvement and figuring out who I was and what I stood for. And, you know, we got to a point in 2018 where we were out on a date night one night and I just kind of did the ready fire aim thing where 
was like, you know what? I think I'm going to ask her to be my submissive tonight. And I dropped her, dropped that question on her on a date night and about five years ago now. And her answer was like 50 shades of gray. (laughs) (laughs) I don't really remember what I said to you initially. (laughs) Yeah. The, you know, really it was, it was up to me at that point to tell her what I meant by it because I had all of this time of kind of thinking about this and she had almost no experience in it whatsoever, but really no experience other than reading 50 shades of gray. (laughs) So, which isn't it. No, I mean, 50 shades of gray for what it is brought these kind of dynamics into the public discussion, but those books really are more about a redemption story than they are about dominance and submission. Yeah. And they don't, really do justice to what this kind of a relationship is. So, you know, in terms of what is a dominant submissive relationship, it is where I lead and Dawn follows, to put it very simply. And that's where it started for us. And then it's kind of what came of that and what we came to realize was happening and on the level of spirituality and emotional safety and intimacy that that started to bring forward in our relationship and in our lives where we started to realize that there was something bigger than just me leading and her following. Yeah. And so Dawn, for you, what was, was there much, um, you know, like, uh, did he have to convince you? Did Andrew have to convince you much to go down this road? Or was there curiosity for you of like, where could this take us? Because is it fair to say maybe the marriage was your typical marriage beforehand and there was an edge that wanted to be explored? Um, yeah. So I would always label our marriage in the past as um, – well, now I know understand what the word vanilla <laughs> means. <laughs> but um, it was always good. And in certain ways, he was already leading in certain areas of our relationship. But um, not understanding the word polarity back then, um, it, it would be like I would be in charge in certain areas and he would be in charge in the others. And it like there was these um not communicated about (laughs) very well, um, different areas. And so we were ebbing and flowing and, you know, the passion and the desire wasn't, there wasn't a big spark to it the longer we got into our marriage. And one thing that, um, so he asked me and we had conversations for a month before I said yes. And during that month, he really did a, a great job of helping me see that where he was already leading in our relationship, things were great. And the ways that he would take charge on the date nights, planning them. And there was no argument for me that he excelled at that. And my life was better because of the ways that he would already lead. And so I eventually realized that I cannot fully know what this is going to look like, where he's going to take me. Cause he, he would tell me I'm going to lead you and us to a better place. 
So eventually it was like, all right, I got to jump in with two feet and just trust that what he's talking about is actually going to happen. And so I did. And at the beginning, um, didn't feel like a lot had changed, but as we continuously deepened and eventually came to understanding some of what was going on, then I became hungry for more, more surrender. And every time I let go of something and let him take charge of it, my life got better. And I was like, all right, (laughs) I want more of that. (laughs) Yeah. It feels like that ultimate surrender for you, Dawn, as the woman. And for you, Andrew, like you fully stepping into that masculine role as as the leader. And are there different variants to dominant submissive couples? Like I know on your guys' Instagrams, it's like 24-7 dom sub. Are there different shades within that that some couples explore? Or is that pretty typical where it's like 24-7? No, I would say that's probably less typical. The most typical thing is where people explore these dynamics in the bedroom where they like maybe push some edges and they play with some kinks and they have some some fun for a night here or a scene there. But it like it's just a part of their life that is meant to add a little spice. And when we say 24-7, at least at we've we've considered ourselves 24-7 since the beginning. But what that really means to us is that we're not going in and out of these roles. Like I'm just always leading. And at the beginning, that didn't mean that I was leading everything all the time. I was still only stepping into that role in the places where she was ready to let me lead and where she was ready to let go. But in whatever those ways were, we were always in it. And so 24-7 to us really meant I am in that role 24 hours a day, seven days a week in all of the places that we've agreed upon. And that's, and there's everything in between. And this goes all the way to the level of, for some total power exchange, where all power, all control, all decision-making is handed over. And for some, like I said, it's just maybe once in a while in the bedroom. Right. And everything in between. There's really not a one true way to do this right. Every couple has to figure out what works best for them. And really, we just do what works best for us. And I would imagine there's a strong communication taking place between the two of you. I was in a polyamorous relationship once upon a time, many, many years ago. And what was so beautiful about that relationship was the communication that took place. You know, I wouldn't partake again, but the communication um, strengthened so deeply when you're in dynamics that maybe aren't the norm. So for both of you, what has, um, what has changed in your relationship for the better? I would start with what you just mentioned, communication. Like we've, we've gotten to be masters at communicating and working our way through all sorts of things, like anything that comes up because Dominant submissive relationships put an absolute essential 
mark on the principle of consent. Everything is discussed. Everything is overt. It's on the table. It's talked about. It's something that, you know, traditional, regular, normal, vanilla, whatever you want to call it, couples are a lot of times poking around in the dark about who's in charge and what means what and what am, what's okay and what's not okay. And a lot of things just aren't talked about. And in this kind of a relationship, everything is talked about and it's laid out on the table, which means you're also, we've had to get very good at facing triggers and dealing with our own emotional well-being and our emotional health and how we support each other in that and how I really support her in the emotional experience of letting go. But consent and like everybody will say, yeah, consent's a great thing. We should all do consent. But then most people actually don't talk about everything. They keep a lot of things like hidden because of fear and because they don't want to say the wrong thing or upset someone. But then you haven't really negotiated or talked really consented to everything. So we've, I think we've become absolute masters at being able to communicate our way through anything. What about you? Well, my initial response was everything has <laughs> <laughs> gotten better. I mean, gosh, I, I call it the way I used to show up was survival mode and a very unconscious way of living. And so it's been through this that I've gotten the space in my life to dive into that um, emotional awareness, self-awareness, and really understanding the mind and body connection and my own connection to my soul through my body and been able to like fully come into that knowing of self in order to fully give myself to him through submission. And like when I mentioned before that there wasn't much desire and passion, the more that I've surrendered, the more like this sexual aliveness just comes out of me. It's Eros and it's like a magnet to him. And I was like, yes, like, <laughs> where was this before? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So when you spoke to that, um, being in survival mode, it feels like a lot of women's nervous systems are hijacked because they're living roles that aren't in tune with their true nature. We're kind of on the hamster wheel, living a very masculine life like, you know, kind of like the nine to five or however it shows up, but there's not that space in a lot of women's life to take a big exhale and be like, I don't have to have it all figured out. Like I don't have to hold all the balls up and juggle all the balls kind of thing. And so when you were speaking to that, like survival mode, it felt like each time Andrew took control of something, it was almost like I can like my shoulders are just moving, like dropping, dropping, dropping and moving into that more like true surrender state, which is highly triggering for a lot of women. I know, you know, for myself, I'm like, I just, I need control. I need to feel like I'm in control with aspects of my life because it gives certainty, right? But you've like been letting go of that and letting go of that and letting go of that to come into your true nature. Is that fair to yeah. say? Yeah, dead on. <laughs> I used to pride myself on how responsible I was. 
and how like everything in my life was so put together and structured and I had it all, even being with him. And what I now see is how that was my, the way little Dawn <laughs> um, from early on in life started creating the shield around my heart to protect myself from being hurt. And it was the ways that I would be validated in life, even by my own parents, in, in other people who saw me, it was like, oh my gosh, you're so responsible. You're so responsible. Well, what did that do? Created more desire to show responsibility in life and have it all together. Even though I didn't feel like I had it all together, my system was, was operating that way. And so I like where I'm at now, rewinding to the beginning of us, I would be shocked <laughs> at how much I've let go of because I didn't know what I didn't know. I didn't know all of the attachments that I had to things and control in life were actually not in service to me. It was this safety to my system. And so every time that I would feel like I've let go of something to him. I would feel a sense of liberation. And it was like, whew, amazing. Relief is a word I Relief, kept, I've heard, yeah. heard you say over and over. Yeah. And I slowly started noticing changes in my physical body. You mentioned shoulders. I had a rounded shoulder posture and nothing I physically did would change it but releasing emotional attachments and pain from the past, let my body just let go. And so, yeah, the more I've let him be in control of life, the more I've, I feel alive. I, my, my whole being not it doesn't feel like just a nervous system thing. Yes. It's a nervous system thing, but my whole being is just, relief. I, yeah, I, I don't know another word to, to put to it right now. Yeah. Almost like you don't have to have it all figured out. No. And I can find excitement now in the possibility of life and not having it figured out. Yeah. It wasn't possible before. It's like that ultimate uncertainty and just letting, I, I want to say like God take the lead and it, does that resonate almost like you know, you can hear in a lot of um, circles, like beautiful circles, like the man submits to God and the woman submits to the man. And so Andrew submitted to God and, and you're submitting to Andrew. So ultimately God's taking the lead. Is that fair to say? Yeah, absolutely. Like the words I have said is I'm submitting to God through him. Yeah. He is my like tangible my touch point on earth to the divine masculine. Do you want to share anything on that well, experience? And how, like how I experience that is there's a God energy that flows through both of us. Yes. And this really gets at the, what a lot of people miss in dominant submissive relationships is the fact that there is actually mutual surrender going on here. It's not just me bossing her around. Um, because 
in some ways, everything that you said and what you just said is very true. Like I have to be submitted to something bigger than me in order to be humble enough and grounded enough to take responsibility for two people instead of just one. Like I have to be, I have to be moving through something bigger than just myself or, or I can just very easily with the amount of authority that I have in this relationship, I could very easily become a tyrant, not that she would tolerate it. And I would expect her to speak up and tell me, and I would know that if, if I was becoming that way, because she's become too emotionally free to stop herself from sharing with me if I were to be treating her that way. But then there's also, you know, so I call this like the, the consciousness of God that I am connected to. And I'm really here to be the consciousness of God for myself and for her. And she then is the heart of God. And she channels the heart and the love of God back into me. And I have to be surrendered enough to her to receive that back from her. And that's where dominant dominant submissive relationship for us was where this started. And it really became this way of practicing, like, like lawyers practice law, doctors practice medicine. Well, this becomes a practice of polarity, like a way to actually live these concepts you hear people talk about, like divine union and polarity that are lots of pretty words without a lot of ways to live them out. Mm. This for us has just become a way that we get to live those concepts in real life. What has it done for you as a man? Like what I received from Dom was like that ultimate letting go and surrender Uh, for you, Andrew, you know, when you think back to when this relationship started, what has really grown and elevated in you? Grounded confidence. There are no power struggles. Um, you know, you mentioned, both of you mentioned a little bit ago about like the, the masculine needing to be in control thing. And when I would experience her in the past, having everything all put together, there wasn't any space for me in that part of her life. Like she had it all figured out and I either fell into like her life because like her structure was so important and she was, had so much need for that control that there just wasn't any room for me to take her, lead her anywhere, no matter how smart, kind, loving, or intelligent I might be about what would be a better way to live. There wasn't any room to hear it. And so in this relationship, when she has let her preferences laid down her preferences and the way that she needed things to be and trusted that maybe there's actually a better way or maybe even the best way is whatever way she doesn't have to figure out or decide for herself (laughs) and just let taking her hands off of the wheel and sat down next to me not only have I been able to lead us to this place where we like we get to experience this very deep and special intimacy together every day, 
um, it has just given me this sense of like a really humble power in myself, just knowing that I can, like, I can do anything. And that's translated into every other part of my life and business and in, in how I am able to uphold personal boundaries and everything else. Just the, the really solid inner strength that doesn't feel flappable, doesn't feel like it's trying to prove anything. I've worked with Solar Feminine Arts, and she's been on the show as well, Christina. Um, and she uses a term that the the feminine descends and the masculine rises. And when you spoke that, you know, Dawn kind of took her hands off the wheel and let me drive, you know, lead the way. It felt like that ultimate you descending Dawn, which gives a space for you to rise. Andrew, and I get that essence of like that strong masculine frame from you. And often in my experience, women are kind of trying to compete for that strong masculine frame, you know, from conditioning, all that kind of stuff that we've been living in that women are kind of trying to be men or, or be equal to men as opposed to complement men. And the way I see that is they're testing for safety. Like they need something stronger than themselves before they could even consider letting go. Yeah. And in a, in a culture and society where men are not showing up as particularly strong and grounded, why wouldn't they test men for safety? Because what happens if, like Don lets go of control and I, I'm not strong enough to take it. Well now, like now we're both just laying on flat on the ground because now yeah. nobody's leaving. You're both kind so, of flailing. Yeah. So this competition in some ways, you know, this is where I take, I really take issue with this whole um, line of teaching in, the, in these realms where women are trying to nice their way into helping men be stronger. Like, just be really nice to him. Don't, don't emasculate him. Well, what if he needs to be emasculated because he's not actually strong? Like, you're not going to sweet talk a weak man into being strong, but you also won't make a strong man weak by emasculating him. A strong man won't be emasculated. It's not an option. So this whole thing is really about, in the way that I see it, men have to be the ones to go first. They have to hold the, they have to hold the frame. They have to hold the structure. They have to lead their own lives first. And this is what I teach men. Like inner dominance comes first. You have to be a dominant force in life, in your own life, if you want a woman to be able to submit to you and follow you. What's she following if you don't have your own shit together? Yeah. That really hit that that women are looking for safety when they're you know kind of competing with men they're testing to see are you you safe enough for me to fully surrender. 
And oftentimes, I know in my experience, um, I've gotten feedback that no, they're not safe. And I wouldn't say like that's their fault. I think we're at an interesting time in the world on so many different levels. But when it comes to women and men, I think like they may have grown up in fatherless homes or where addiction, abuse, all that kind of stuff. And so they're kind of flailing and not sure how to stand in their power. So how would you say a man starts to gain that inner dominance that you spoke to and really rise into his full potential? It starts with taking complete responsibility for his own life. No victim status, no blaming, no finger pointing, owning everything. Being willing to take complete responsibility. You know, the word responsibility, nobody really thinks about this, but it's a mashup between two words. It's the words respond and ability. And one of my favorite things I've ever learned out of a business book by Jack Canfield called The Success Principles in the very first chapter of that book, he has this formula that he learned. It was E plus R equals O. Event plus response equals outcome. And so I teach this to men who want to be dominant men now. You have to have, you have to take responsibility, which means you have to maintain the ability to respond in any situation to create the outcome that you want. If you're just letting events happen to you, you're not in charge, you're not in charge of your own life. You're not showing up in, to anyone around you, including yourself as a dominant man, if you are just letting life happen to you. So you can respond to any event and create an outcome from it. And responsibility is just continuing to hold that ability to respond so that you can create outcomes rather than become a victim. That's where it all starts. Are there things, would you say, in this world that take men away from that, that might be, you know, intentional things placed in the world that keep men separate from stepping into that role? I'm kind of leaning towards like porn, um, things like that, that distract men and keep them in that uh, kind of weak state. Anything can keep a man in a weak state if he lets it. And nothing can keep a man from being strong if he demands it of himself. Yeah. And now I'm not saying it's easy. It's not like a switch you flip because there's all kinds of programming around this stuff. There are all sorts of belief systems. Like we've, we've gotten ourselves really mind fucked in a lot of different ways men and women both and like men have our own emotional wounds and our own healing that we have to do in order to really step into this kind of strength it's not like we just get to decide and force ourselves into it so there's like it's a two-sided coin it's stepping into strength and it's also letting like the walls down around our hearts so we can receive love too and receive the receive feedback for how we lead. 
So sure, porn, video games, any kind of distraction, like any sort of alcohol or weed or drugs or whatever, like any way that someone numbs themselves out from reality can keep a man from being as strong as he needs to be. But again, responsibility. It's either happening to you or like life's happening to you or you're happening to life as a man. And if you aren't taking charge of it, including your own emotional side and your triggers and your anger and your sadness and all of the pain that you've absorbed as a man, like you won't, you'll just continue to be run by the events because you've given up your ability to respond. Yeah. What would you say it's like for the typical man in our world, kind of with the feminist stuff and for you, does it feel like there's kind of a war on masculinity right now, or does it feel like that's almost a way to become a victim? It's absolutely a way to become a victim. It's just an excuse. Like, sure, maybe there is a war on masculinity, but I don't care. Like, I'm not participating in it. You're like, F that. My, my mind, my consciousness, my life is not up for negotiation. Would you have had that mindset before you became the dom-submissive relationship in it? I had that mindset for a long time. This relationship has really just let it come to its fullest fruition and, and show up um, show up in an aligned way where it, it flows through every single part of my life really yeah. because of the amount of love and the energy and the, the passion and Eros that I feel together with her and also how connected I am to her, how deeply I've let her in. If I'm out of integrity in any part of my life, I feel it because she feels it and I cannot stop myself from feeling what she feels. She's, mm -hmm. I tell her every day, she's my whole entire heart. She feels it. I feel it. And if I'm out of integrity, she feels it, which means every part of me is called to be my highest and best self every day because the other alternative is that it's painful for her if I'm out of integrity. Mm. And if, if I've really let her all the way in, if it's painful for her, it's painful for me too. Feels like that, like energy running through both of you, like that kind of figure eight energy going through. And so what one's feeling, the other one's feeling, cause there's that deep, deep connection. You figured out why we named our business infinite devotion and we have oh. the little infinity symbol. Oh, do you? Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. So You're on to us. I'm on to you guys. I'm definitely on. Do you have children? I have two older daughters. Okay. Okay. I'm just curious, how have people responded to the dominant submissive relationship or are people in your world even aware of it? Go ahead. Okay. Um, so obviously we're public on Instagram and 
you know, over, over time, I feel like this has changed a little bit for me as I've come to truly understand that this is a felt part of my life experience and it's, it's a piece of who I am. And so as I've come into even just having more language around what this experience truly is, it's easier to talk about because it is truly a felt experience. And so it's not something that we lead at the forefront. Like when we meet people, like it's not like, hey, by the way, <laughs> I mean, I do wear my collar 24 seven and I have for it's we're coming up on five years. And so we are open to talking about it um, with anyone unless you're going to come at me with some form of judgment. And I don't feel like there's actually a conversation. It's more like a an attack then I just don't have anything to talk about with you. But, um, you know, if, if someone's looking at our relationship from the outside, they're going to see love and devotion. And they always like, even at the beginning of us, we had a relation, a marriage that did stand out. Like we were truly into each other. We didn't complain about each other, you know? And so it's only gotten better as we've truly connected at a deeper intimate level. And so um, do the labels come up sometimes, but it's not about the labels at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. What I receive from that is people probably see the love that is flowing through the both of you. And so what does the label really matter in regards yeah. to that? It's just... Yeah, because if I say we're dominant and submissive to five different people, they're gonna have there's gonna be probably five different um, ideas of what that might mean for us, and so it's it's that's where labels are somewhat important in descriptions. But we we truly go into like what is it about the relationship that actually brings um, that desire and eros alive. Can you speak to the collar? What does the collar represent? I've never seen a collar before. So okay. And, <laughs> funny thing, I hadn't either. Okay. <laughs> because my only experience of this was 50 shades of gray and there was no collar in there. And so um, you know, I wear a wedding ring in um display of my marriage to him and my collar is a sign of my submission to him and it's it means love and devotion and i will follow put simply and in these kind of relationships collars are very symbolic of um well for example like her collar has a ring attached to it which is symbolic of my ability to lead her now i don't hook anything up to this and drag her around the house <laughs> But it, it is symbolic of of the fact that she is mine and that collar belongs to me. I've put it on her and given it to her as a symbol of my commitment to lead her just as much as it is a symbol of her commitment to follow me. Mm. And in a lot of ways, that collar is even more meaningful to us than than our wedding rings are. Like because of how unconscious we were when we got married and how it was just kind of like, well, we dated for a while. We really like each other. So I guess we get married now. <laughs> you know, 
that was our approach to marriage when we got married. And the, the collar in this dominant submissive dynamic really represents so much of our own coming into full consciousness and, and like a really deep, intimate connection with each other. And so that is a very meaningful piece of and display of this relationship. And it's also interesting and, and leads to some fun stories in public because anyone who does know what a collar is definitely knows what it is. And every once in a while, you end up with some pretty entertaining stories that come out of that. Have you seen other women with collars on? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like out in, out in the world? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm going to be looking that, for them now because I've, <laughs> I've never seen one, but I've never been looking for one, you know? So Dawn wears a pretty obvious one. It's pretty bold. There are a lot of people who wear what are called day collars, which can just be anything. Some of them are just a ne- necklace that is very special and meaningful to both people. A lot of those will have just like a little circle ring in the middle of them on like a little bit more of a choker style necklace, but it'll just look like a little piece of jewelry. And then you know, there's everything up to big, thick, chunky leather collars. Um, Don's is a titanium eternity collar. So it actually goes in like hooks up with a, there's a little set screw. So it's like mounted in place around her neck and it only comes on and off if I put it there. But yeah, you see when, when you know what you're looking for, you will see them relatively regularly. Hmm. Hello loves just a quick little interruption from the episode to chat about one of my favorite products that I am an affiliate for. And so as you all know, I have been on quite the healing journey this past year, and there have been a few products that are game changers for me. So part of my health journey has been insomnia, and I have been using taking pearl powder from Wild Holistics, and I absolutely love Wild Holistics. I love their small batch, cozy feeling company that feels very nourishing and is very supportive and natural. And so I love the pearl powder as well as the liver protector. It is full of so much medicine for the liver, which we all know is under a lot of stress with the the stressors that we have in our life at this time and as well as the elevated mind with the saffron. There is so much research and medicine that goes into that is in saffron and its healing effects on the mind as well as eyes. So definitely check out Wild Holistic. There's a link in the show notes for 10% off with discount code Lisa. Back to the show. I remember seeing a picture on your Instagram of Don kneeling in the hardware store. (laughs) (laughs) I laughed because that one, like that one had all kinds of controversy around it. It was pretty fun. (laughs) Yeah. What would be the controversy that you get around it? Some people took it as us being a little too public with our display of our dominant submissive dynamic, um, which, you know, to each their own, they they have the right to that, to that opinion. But 
you know, in this particular case, we were in a, in a hardware store all by ourselves, no one anywhere near us or that could see us and a quick little 10 second thing between the two of us. That was just fun. Um, some people took, uh, took their own meaning to it and made it into something that it wasn't. Yeah. I think what some women might see in it is oppression, you know, and I think, and I could be completely wrong on this, that some people might get the idea in a dominant submissive relationship that the woman is oppressed and kind of um, not being able to stand fully in her power. What would you say to that? Because I do not get the the feeling that, Don, you're oppressed in any sense. Um, so, yeah, what comes up for you around that for either of you? Um it's very possible that you can see those sort of um, dominant submissive relationships out there. Like if you go to the internet, you can see all sorts of images that might look like that, but you truly don't know what that relationship is to those two individuals. So if you look at me and you see me on my knees in reverence for him and all that he is to me and to the, divine masculine that comes to me through him. And that's like, wow, she's oppressed. I have nothing to say to you. My experience has been nothing but liberation and coming into all of who I am and more and more of the life experience that's possible for me when I let him in all the way and when he lets me in all the way. So um, I guess I would say, well, you're kind of missing out. <laughs> <laughs> if you're going to be limited to that, um, that view. And I like part of my journey has been to challenge any and every belief system that I feel has been put in me by my earlier life experience. I want to own it and I'm going to challenge it with an opposing view because I'm only going to like be sure at what it is or am I, or am I, excuse me, I'm going to be proven wrong to myself Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I can learn and expand my life experience by challenging it when I was in the polyamorous relationship, a lot of people, my friends and family, like, what are you doing? <laughs> but it was to cha challenge a belief system because I believed that monogamy was the way, but I didn't know where that came from. You know, did it just come from my upbringing, my parents, you know? And so I was like, I'm going to challenge it and see what is actually truth for me. And I decided that monogamy is the way, um, <laughs> but I needed to challenge that belief system. And now you know. And now I know. And now I know. And it's like you don't know what you don't know until you explore that edge. And when you were speaking, Don, what I really felt was that you fully receive each other. There's not that armor and walls between one another that keep you separate, even though you're in an intimate relationship with each other. And I think a lot of couples probably 
aren't fully receiving each other and don't even know that they're not fully receiving each other. And marriages seem to be very tested at this time. Like a lot of marriages fall apart. What would you say is missing from the everyday marriage? Well, I would come back to this idea of the seeing a woman kneel, like sealing her kneeling for me is being oppressed because sure, maybe from the outside, like she said, it could look like that, but the level of respect that I have to earn in order for her to authentically legitimately feel that level of respect for me not just that she would be like yeah i really respect you you got a boy <laughs> but where she feels such a an a deep like knowing of how much respect she feels for me that she would want to drop down to her knees to display it to the world that's what's missing Again, I've said earlier, I believe men really need to go first in this work. Well, men need to earn the respect that they crave rather than expect it. And, you know, the same women who would probably look at Dawn kneeling for me and say, oh, look how oppressed she is. She isn't in her power are also a lot of times going to be the same ones who are feeling maybe secretly burned out and kind of at the end of their rope, decision fatigue level 10, and completely exhausted from having to be in control of every single part of their life, but thinking that the only way out of it is to keep doing more of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Laying those, it down. Yeah. Those women that are kind of um, trying to do it all is what it felt like. And when you're speaking to that, like the oppression aspect in an oppressed relationship, the safety wouldn't be there. But in this dynamic, the safety is so much there. There's absolute trust in where Andrew's leading you. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. And, you know, I mentioned before through this dynamic, I've, I've come to the understanding of what it meant to connect with my body and the, there's a different knowing your intuition that comes from your body versus thinking, you know, from your mind. And so it's as, as I've gone through more and more emotional, I call it emotional release because I didn't know how much pain I had clung to from my past. Again, you don't know what you don't know. And so when my eyes were open to that, I became really hungry to like let things go. And underneath this has been this beautiful ability to just trust and let him in without trying. It's not a doing thing. It, it's just there. And I'm not saying it's been easy. <laughs> I mean, like, Let's let's be real. This the whole I, um, the whole thing about like having an ego and really, it's like where's my ego? Where's my intuition? Like it's it's work. 
but it's been so worth it. And on the trust thing is I'm not a perfect man. Like there's no part of this that's like, I have to make every single decision perfectly in order for her to feel safe enough to trust me. Cause that, like, that would be an, an unreasonable expectation. I'm still human. And so if every time that I made a little mistake, this is kind of where we would get hung up a lot earlier on in this dynamic is like, she had no problem letting go of control. If I did everything perfectly and did everything exactly the way she would have done it for herself, then it was easy. <laughs> How about that? But coming to a place where she feels safe to let me lead, even if I maybe do things differently than how she would prefer, or if I make a mistake or I lead us in the wrong direction, then the trust also, like I also have to have, which means I have to earn the trust that if I make a big mistake, small or big mistake, that it's also still my responsibility to deal with that and to keep leading forward from wherever I've taken us. Yeah. And I trust his um, dedication to learning from both um, the way things go well and the way things don't like he is like my, my role is sharing my emotional experience with him as information. And I trust that he learns everything that he needs to and uses that to create a better life for us. What would you say men require from women in relationship? <laughs> Good question. <laughs> because uh, conventional wisdom and most men <laughs> would say uh, blowjobs. Okay. <laughs> Unlim unlimited sex, right? That's what most like everybody believes that what men really need is just like, they just need sex. They just need as much sex as they can possibly get. And that that's the only thing that matters to men. It's complete and absolute trash. It's wrong on every level because as men, we are in, we're receptive in our hearts. Like we, if you look at, the sexual anatomy, men are the givers and women are the receivers. It's a stick in a hole. It's very simple. It's very emblematic. And that really, to me, represents everything on the physical level. It's not just about sex. It's about the leader and follower about who's giving and who's receiving on the physical plane. And so what men require from women might be in part a receptive place for their leadership, for their penetration to go sexually and otherwise. But what men require even more is to be connected to her heart so he can feel what she's feeling. Like we need, men are ex inherently sensitive. We're built to be sensitive. Like a man can walk into a room and not even see his woman she can be on the other side of the room with facing away from him. And he knows exactly what kind of mood she's in, 
how she's feeling, if she's up or down, if she's tense or relaxed. Like men have a very deep inherent sensitivity. And what we need is to be connected to how you're feeling and to be able for you to be able to give it to us. And that's like, that's where affection comes from. That's where like authentic desire comes from. It all comes from the heart. If, if all men really required of women was lots of sex, um, fleshlights and porn would be satisfactory and fulfilling. And it's not casual sex would be all a guy ever needed. And it's just not true because anybody who goes down that road long enough, it's just empty. Like we need, we need a human connection with a real person. And that means we need to open up our hearts and let her in. Yeah. When it comes to sex, I think the conditioning has been that it's not a spiritual um, act is the word, you know, that it's, you know, there's different books like Finding uh, Finding God Through Sex by David Data. And and it speaks to the spiritual union that happens through sex. And I, I mean, in my experience, I've never heard sex spoken about in that way, that it's a spiritual union. And is that fair to say that it's not typically spoken about in the world in that way? Yeah, I would agree. And I think that's something that's missing because sex is seen like um, something that's kind of disposable. It's just something that you, you do. It's not this deep union between two people. Is that something that has shifted for you guys in this dominant submissive relationship where God is part of, you know, kind of coming back to that book of finding God through sex? Um, Yeah. How does God play into all of that? So, my experience of God early on was through organized religion. And I was very deep in it all the way, like still when I met him. And it was very um, action-based and not fulfilling, but I didn't know what I didn't know. (laughs) So when we were together, we walked away from organized religion, the church at the same time, because he came to it with me like, oh, okay, so your experience is a little different than my past. So let me give this a chance again. Quickly realized, oh, (laughs) not so much, just (laughs) looked a little different. And so together we did that. And I had to set the idea of God off to the side because I knew that God didn't equal my experience of religion. I felt like there was still something there. I also trusted that when I was meant to experience God for real, I would. And it's been through this dynamic together through lots of different ways, but also through sex that I've actually connected with the depths of the spiritual aspect um, and have been opened in my system as love 
as the heart of God and been able to receive him as the consciousness of God. Yeah. It's, it's much, much more than just rubbing like lubricated parts together. There, there's so much more to that. And, um, it looking at it so superficially just takes away the, the possibility of what, what it represents. I mean, it's, it's the ultimate creative act. It's the, it's the energy that drives sexual desire is the energy that created every single human being. Like we are walking spiritual sexual beings. We only exist because of that energy. And then when we can move that energy between two people who are really open and receptive to each other and staying in like the connection to me being the masculine and her being the feminine and everything that that represents, it's a, like, it's a deeply, deeply spiritual experience making love to each other. Yeah. I think I read somewhere about like orgasm being like those moments when the mind is completely still and we crave that. Like it's almost like that complete stillness and we crave that because the mind's so loud in our day to day. And so that, yeah, anyway, that just came forward as you were speaking to that. Well, that's a great example of what's possible outside of the actual act of sex, though, is when we, um, when I go deeper into my feminine and he rises into his masculine, like that orgasmic bliss is what I experience just being together eating breakfast when we truly have let each other in all the way and what we call like divine union. And so it's where life feels more like sex, not just seeking those bedroom experiences. That's been my experience. Like the Eros is always flowing. Mm -hmm. Yes. Through you. Yes. And the normal like day to day for most women keeps us in our mind. And so that there's not arrows running through us when we're completely in our head thinking about all the things we have to do. <laughs> A question for him quite frequently of if there's something about like, can I do this? And he's like, well, does it turn you on? And I was like, no, I don't want to do that actually. <laughs> <laughs> Like anything, like, like, does that make you wet? If it doesn't, then why, why are you wasting your time with it? If, if it's putting you in your head, if it's making you think it's taking you out of your body, which means it's taking you out of receptivity to me. It's taking you out of your heart. It's taking you completely out of everything that I need you to represent because like, this isn't just a one way dependency kind of a relationship where she is completely dependent on me and I'm just over here completely fine, whether I have her or not. Like I, I count on her just as much as she counts on me. And that's a big hurdle we've had to overcome is the willingness and ability to actually fully depend on each other. 
out of codependency into interdependency into just really truly depending on each other like i need her to show up for me with all of her heart as much as she needs me to show up for her with all of my strength to keep that arrows flowing and like energetic orgasms are a thing orgasms (laughs) are not just only to be experienced at the end of sex they can be experienced by by feminine beings especially just in just through words through deep intentional presence like their orgasms when you get to a certain point go beyond sexual experiences and they become a part of the way that you get to experience life and that's not just metaphor yeah I think, you know, there's a very penetrative gaze in some men, you know, where it, it pierces. Mm-hmm. And when a woman's open to receive that, and I know I've there are many times in my life where I shut that off and would not receive it, but it does something in a woman's body when they receive it. It just reminded me of that like orgasmic eros that's always flowing when you're fully receptive to it just a look can make your heart race it can make the adrenaline start to pump it can make the dopamine start to rush like just a look yeah yeah which what decisions do you make don like are there some decisions that you do make or is it like what you eat in a day is that do you make that decision i'm just curious Um, what decisions do I make? So I most often will decide like what I'm going to wear, but I really like to ask, what would you like to see me wear today? So, um, that's one thing. Like I know some people in these dynamics would be like, well, do you have to ask permission to use the bathroom? (laughs) no. (laughs) So (laughs) it's not down to the level of like micromanaging everything. Exactly. But I have recognized that more often than not, if I'm faced with a decision, that's something simple about what I'm doing. Maybe it's if he's like, make lunch today. Um, I might say, would you like this or this and let him make the decision? Because then my mind is not comparing it to every other thing that I could have done to make it perfect. Cause that was, that was a horrible habit for me is that constantly, um, lining everything up against perfection. Um, I don't, it's, it's kind of a tough question to answer because a lot of, a lot of what we do is. I willingly let him Mm -hmm. decide. And I don't micromanage. Like that's not Mm -hmm. my style of dominance and leadership. So for example, in some of these relationships, the dominant will pick out the submissive's clothes every single day. Mm -hmm. That's not a place that I'm interested in exercising my authority. But if I did pick out your clothes for you, which sometimes I do, like wear this, we're going out on a date, I want you to wear that red dress because I want to see it. But instead, 
I zoom out a little bit on that and Dawn really likes me to like what she's wearing. And so I go shopping with her and all the clothes that she picks out are things that she knows that I like. So anytime she gets dressed, she gets to know that it's going to be pleasing to me. And then I'm not micromanaging the little decisions. We're picking out clothes together that she feels good in that I like to see her in. When we, like when we handle food, I generally make a meal plan for the week. Some of the time, some of the meal plan for the week is that she's going to use her creativity and her skills because she's a brilliant cook and she will just prepare whatever she wants to prepare for me or ask me what I would like her to make. So I help to alleviate decision fatigue for her in every single possible way, but also not to the point where I'm fall. I have to follow her around every day and like tell her it's time to brush your teeth. Now it's eight 54. <laughs> well, I think it's, I'm speaking for myself. Like it's hot for a woman when a man's like, wear this, or I'm taking you here, put this on. Like it, it does invoke something in our body for sure. And, you know, for me, it doesn't make me feel like I'm not powerful or even like little things like when a man opens the door for me, that's beautiful. Like, I love it. But there's, there has been um, a narrative like, well, I don't need a man to do that in the world, you know, and it's like, well, no, of course, I don't need him to open a door for me. But I love it when he does, you know. And I would say that um, when it's, I don't need a man, it's walls around your heart. Yeah. It's belief systems in there. And it's pain. Like it's inner yeah. pain that's coming out as, as self-protection. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, even down to the littlest thing of, of receiving a compliment from someone else, like that's a form of penetration, whether it's from a man or a woman. Can you open your heart to receive that? Or are you deflecting it? Are you deflecting? I don't need a man to open the door for me. Like, I love that. That was one thing that stood out about him from the very start. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> this is great. <laughs> yeah. And if I go out on a date now and he doesn't open the door, I'm like. <laughs> you know? Stand there and wait. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> When you were speaking to the interdependent relationship, that really stood out for me. And like, we do, we do need each other as humans. We need other humans. We, you know, we're not designed to do it all on our own and we have to let other people in and especially our beloved, like that's a, a place for really deep connection and intimacy. What is the work that you do through your business? So there's your business, Infinite Devotion. Do you want to speak to that a little bit? And I know you have a podcast. Yeah, we just started a podcast a couple months ago. I think we're on episode 10 as of today. So we're we're brand new with it. Um, funny story on the podcast. So brand new at it that um, I was still getting the editing thing down and 
completely missed and forgot to edit out when our dog, Snoop Dogg, <laughs> um, started having puppy dreams in the background. And I yelled his name really loud to wake him up and figure I'll go back and clip that out later. Completely forgot to. And one of the first people <laughs> who listened to it's like, oh, you forgot to edit out the part at like 34 minutes where you yelled at your dog. <laughs> <laughs> so we're new about it, new at it, and like to laugh at ourselves. And like everything we do with this business, we're just sharing what's real for us. We don't do prescriptive and we don't do performative in our business and we don't do it in our lives. Authenticity and integrity are, are very high values for me. And I insist on that in everything. So we, like we do have a podcast, we have our Instagram account. We also have group groups that we run one for men and one for women that meant to give a little bit of community and coaching for people kind of on the same path as you. And we do some group coaching containers for one for women each year and one for couples each year. The one for couples is called Rapture, where we just go all the way deep into everything that we've learned from each other, through each other in our five years and in like two years of doing this as a business full time. And we do one-on-one -on -one work with individuals and couples too. And it's really all based on helping people find their own authentic way to being who they are rather than just doing the dumb thing or doing the sub thing, but actually being it and sorting out all the garbage that might otherwise keep them from being able to live that way in a, in a fulfilling and loving and healthy way. Do you get a lot of couples that come to you that are kind of ready to split and this is like a way to save the marriage? Does that show up quite a bit or? It has, but we don't, like, we only take clients who are trying to go from good to great or who are maybe who are newer at it, but really have a deep mutual commitment to both show up for each other. Like it can't be a one-sided thing where one person's trying to change the other person or where something isn't working and they're trying to fix it. Now we've had people who have come to us who have been at the end of their rope, but they're both like, we're going to pour everything we've got into this one more time and see if we can make it work. And we've like, we've been side by side with people who have completely rekindled marriages at the end of like a three year separation that were on the verge of divorce. And they both really were willing to pour everything into it and show up and put it back together. It can be really special, but it, it takes two. Both people have to be willing. Like these aren't 50, 50 relationships, these dominant submissive relationships. They aren't, it's not about 50, 50, it's a hundred, a hundred. Both people have to show up a hundred percent and put everything into it. Yeah. Yeah. It felt like that, it's for the people that are all in and really want to explore something that kind of like, I don't know why the word like blows your mind in regards to relationships. It's not your, your average vanilla marriage. It's like elevating it to the next level. Yeah. 
Is there anything that you want to add to this conversation before we close that I might've missed anything you want to touch on or, or share? This whole realm of dumb sub and polarity and divine union and masculine feminine energies and all of that, it gets taken so damn seriously. And it really like, this gets to be fun. <laughs> like you, like we can actually live this way and have a really damn good time doing it. And that's something I like to remind people is these concepts and everything, they don't have to be so damn serious. Like show, go have a good time and don't take yourself so seriously either. Have a little humility and have a little bit of uh, grace and compassion for yourself, a little bit of patience. Like dominant submissive relationships can still be patient. <laughs> you can still take your time. We did a whole episode of our podcast on patience. They require patience. Yeah, it's necessary if you really want it to be authentic. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's important is the fun and curiosity with all of it, with the masculine, the feminine, you know, I'll have people ask me, well, am I, am I in my feminine with this or am I in my masculine? It's like, <laughs> what does it matter? You're, you're already up here. You're not yeah. in either one. You're just in your head. <laughs> yeah. You're just trying to figure it all out. And yeah, that fun and fluidity and just being and authenticity is really, really beautiful. Where can people find you? Best place is infinitedevotion.com. There's links to our Instagram, our podcast, and everything else we do on there. On Instagram, we are at underscore infinite devotion. Okay, beautiful. And it'll be in the, the show notes and everything for people to find you. Well, thank you so much for this conversation. I learned a lot, and I know the listeners will as well. So thank you so much. Thank you, Lisa. Our pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me for an episode of the Phoenix Rising podcast. Please like, share, download, subscribe if you enjoyed this episode. And I will see you next week for another episode on the Phoenix Rising podcast. Sending so much love.